Now, for those of you that know me, uh, I love deep, like heavy theological things in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek and just the truths of uh, dad jokes. You know, it's really one of my favorite things. So I looked up the best 2023 dad jokes I could find. And uh, how do you know it's a dad joke? Uh, when it becomes apparent. So you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I go for. I like the groan. That's what I'm after. Uh, so I found this one. So what does a baby computer call his father? Dad. Nice job. That was from a dad. That was from a dad. Uh, this unfortunate person found a wooden shoe in their toilet, which, I mean, that has to be so difficult. They found out it was, it was clogged. So... Yeah, <laughs> see? Yeah, and I love, I love those of you that are like, these aren't funny. And I'm like, exactly. That's what makes them good, right? Okay, this one uh, said, never date a tennis player. They had some type of relationship, I guess. Um, turns out that love means nothing to them. <laughs> ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I'm loving this. I'm loving this. We can pray. We can pray. Okay, uh, I found out where pirates get their hooks, actually. There's a lot of archaeological study and different things done through history. Um, they actually get it from the second-hand store. Ah, uh, okay, okay, this is, this is the last one. This is the last one uh, of five, five, this is my favorite. Um, this person ordered a chicken and an egg from Amazon. Uh, I'll let you know. Uh, that's it. That's, what, I lo- what I love about jokes, what I love about this day, what I love about this opportunity is it gives us an opportunity to see a piece and a portion of all that God is. We've been in this series, Flash Theology, and we've been talking about these different attributes of God. And when I see jokes like this, as, as terrible as they may be, as amazing as they are, all I can do is, is laugh and think about the joy that it brings me that even some of you are like, these aren't good. But they are. And they're amazing. And, and it's actually a portion of this attribute of God uh, that he is joyful. That's who God is. God is joyful. Did you know that? We, we, we have this idea about God that uh, he's just in heaven uh, waiting to tell us to not do something and, and, and turn us away from any type of joy. We think that God is a killjoy. He is not a killjoy. He opposes whatever kills your joy. That's the God that we serve. And, and in his joyfulness, he wants us to experience that even today. Uh, today, I believe God has something for every single one of us in the room. And dads, this is something that you don't have to do. It's something you get to experience. In fact, all throughout scripture, we see this attribute of God um, from cover to cover in the Bible. There was actually a prophet named Zephaniah whose name literally means hidden and protected in God. And, And he would say this, when it comes to God and how he views you, it says, for the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty savior. And let's pause there because we have to know what's happening at this time in Israel. Israel has completely rebelled against God. They're running away. They're doing all of the wrong things. God said go left. They went right. It just didn't matter. They just ran away from everything God had to say to them. And then God speaks through a prophet named Zephaniah. And this is what God says to you and to me and to Israel at the time. He will take delight in you with gladness. So, Father's Day, the men in the room, the fathers in waiting, the fathers in mourning, the fathers who didn't have the father figure to model after, uh, the fathers who have two kids, one kids, 17 kids, five kids, everyone in between, the uncles, the brothers, the sons, God takes delight in you. You came, you came in possibly today feeling like there's no way that I can amount to what I'm supposed to be. And God takes delight in you. 
You may be thinking that you, you may not have what it takes to be a good father. And God says, I take delight in you. You may feel like you, you don't fully understand what this next season means. You may have a young child and you're thinking, this is already difficult. And I hear two years old is even worse. And then three teenagers, and, and it just goes on and on. God takes delight in you. That's the beauty of God. And we think for some reason that he's sitting in a throne frowning at us. But he's truly smiling at us. That, that word delight literally is this idea of him smiling at you. And he goes on, with his love, he will calm all of your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. You, when you walk into a room, God just starts singing a song. I don't know what the song would be. He's just like, hey, how you doing? I see you, John. You make me happy. Whatever it may be. You make God sing a song. You put a smile on the face of God. When you think of God and his face, what do you think he's doing when he thinks of you? Maybe you think he's frowning or upset, shaking his head. Scripture says he's smiling at you. And this is actually our flash fact for today as we've been doing this all throughout this series of flash theology. We've been looking at a flash fact, a Hebrew word or a Greek word that really kind of explains more about this biblical truth of God. And today we're going to look at four different words. Uh, there's two Hebrew words in the Old Testament that we see. And in fact, there's actually 15 words um, all throughout the Bible, over 15 words that describe this attribute of God. Uh, the first one is ashrei, means happy and blessed. Simha is the next one. It means joy, delight, gladness. Uh, then we go into the Greek words, makarios. We see this in Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. Uh, happy are those. Blessed are those people. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be given mercy. We talked about mercy last week. And then this last one, chara. You got to get the gargle again. Chara, a joy, delight, great happiness. This is what God has for us. And we've been in this book, Flash Theology. And in chapter 27, we're all about this idea of God is joyful. And I wanted to share a bit of this idea even further. On page 151, remember you can get this book at the blue tent. It's $15. It says this, as Christians, as believers, we don't define happiness or truth or justice or love the way the world does. There are more than 15 Greek and Hebrew words that can be translated as happy. And it seems this topic was very important in it, to the inspired writers of the Bible. When we study scripture, words like joy and happiness are intertwined and overlapped. Because at times we have joy and happiness despite what's going on. Or we experience the joy and happiness of God as we know more about God. It's the beauty of who God is. Uh, one, one author and theologian said, it would be exceedingly strange if the more we knew about God, the more miserable we became. We should be happy people because we serve a happy God. And this is what we see all throughout scripture. But if, if God is joy, that means everything that we experience when it comes to joy must come from God. C.S. Lewis said it this way, God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. The very being of God is joy and happiness. That's what he wants to offer us today. And we've been looking at this beautiful mosaic of all the attributes of God, of, of love and, and holiness and wisdom, and today, joy, we get to experience that. We get to find that, and we get to live that out. 
Uh, We talked about last week that the reality of our faith is us looking more and more like Jesus. More and more like God. We have this God-likeness, this Christ-likeness. So we should experience joy so we could be joyful people. So when people see you, they're like, you are one of the most happy people I've ever met. I don't want to hear people say, you know those believers? Man, they are grumpy. Some of us are laughing because you're like, yeah, I can be sometimes. I can. They should look at us and be like, man, there's something different about them. They're just joyful. So how about you and I? How do we experience, we've been talking about love and, and, and wisdom and holiness and how God protects us. How do we experience this type of joy today, right now? If we have a different joy than the rest of the world, a different love, a different idea of justice, a different idea of wisdom, a different idea of all that God is, if we look at the world differently, how do we experience this? Well, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me? We're going to be in the book of Psalm. Uh, it's pretty much right in the middle of your Bible. Open up the Bible, you get to Psalms or Proverbs. Uh, you'll see Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 16, uh, which is actually uh, quite possibly one of the most important Psalms in Scripture. Now, uh, Marcus, why would you say that? Well, in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost happens, uh, Peter begins to share a message, and he shares from this particular Psalm. And he says, this psalm essentially points to the history and the revelation that Jesus would resurrect from the dead. Uh, Then later on in in Acts, we see actually Paul saying the same thing about this psalm. I wonder if even the day that Jesus resurrected and he meets those men on the road to Emmaus, when he gave them that long message that we don't get to see what he preached about, I wonder if he was saying, you're going to hear someone talk about this psalm. So for the very important men in the room, I want to talk about a very important passage that I believe God wants to reveal to us today. So if you have your Bible, Psalm chapter 16. This is a Psalm of David. If you don't know who David was, he was a shepherd boy uh, who was anointed to be king as a shepherd. Um, and then he eventually grows up, works in, in the you know, throne area of Saul, and eventually becomes king. He's running from his life. He's running for his life. His own family comes after him. He has some rises and some falls. He does great things and wrong things. But scripture would call him a God after man's own heart, uh, a man after God owns heart, God's own heart. So if there's someone we want to model, uh, maybe we can take some of the words that David is speaking today, because it may give us a revelation of how God wants our heart to be. It starts out. Keep me safe, O God, for I have come to you for refuge. Now, many times if you've read the Psalms before, just reading that first line may make us think that this is a Psalm about deliverance. This is a Psalm about confidence. And so watch, what, watch the tone begin to change. Uh, David says, keep me safe, O God, I come to you for refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. Now, just in those two verses, David has mentioned three different names for God. He starts, keep me safe, O God. That word is Elohim. That's what we see in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created. Elohim is actually the plural name of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Keep me safe, Elohim. I said to the Lord, this is the covenant name of God, if you see it in your Bibles, uh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That is Yahweh, Jehovah, we would say. That is Yahweh, the God of Scripture, the covenant God of Israel. So he says, Elohim, Yahweh, and then he says, you are my Adonai, my master. He said, you are not only the creator of all things, you are not only the one who delivers me, you are the one who leads me. If we can get to that place when we think about who God is, 
I believe there's going to be some joy that starts to fill our hearts. And he goes on, every good thing I have comes from you. Uh, look up if you have your Bible. Just, just look around. Uh, look at your family next to you. Every good thing we have comes from God. Uh, think, of, think of the kids that may not be in the room today. Think of the family members. Think of the clothes that you're wearing, the watch on your hand, the job you may have, the schooling that you're in. Every good thing comes from God because he's joyful. He goes on, verse 3. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Now, I said before, we should be known as, as godly people who are happy, who are joyous, not grumpy. And you may be thinking, I would love to call godly people my heroes, but really they frustrate me. I know some believers that I don't like, or maybe you just know some unlikable believers. Someone said, amen, praise the Lord. First amen, okay. Uh, like, that's, that's the issue. That's something that all of us need to work on. We should not be unlikable believers because that shouldn't even exist. We should have the love of God, the compassion of God, the mercy of God, the wisdom of God, this heart and desire to protect people, to love people, to lead people, to deliver people. We should have that heart in us so strongly that when people look at us, they can't help it. You're my hero, man. Can't even help it. So if you're thinking of the people that are believers, that you have difficult liking, I would ask, have we really met true believers? I mean people that have been transformed by the love of God. I mean people that were walking one direction away from God and God did whatever he needed to do to call them back to himself. The people who when they start to think about their past bring them to tears because they say, you're not going to believe what God pulled me out of. The people who are walking in a direction now that say there's no way that God could use someone like me. The people that are saying, you don't know what happened to me last night and the pain that I deal with every single day and the tape that plays in my head that says I am not good enough and I am not strong enough, I am not man enough, I am not father enough, I am not motherly enough, I am not, I am not, I am not, but I remember that God calls me his own. If I remember that everything about me changes. Have you met that kind of person? That's a believer. If you're saying that's not me some days, dive into his word because God's presence will change everything. I take pleasure in them. They're my true heroes. I look in this room and I think of the people that I've had the privilege to meet with and talk with and many of you, uh, the people I've cried with. The people that have experienced heavy loss and still lift their hands in worship. The people who have time and time again been through deep rejection and still praise God. The people who are in the room today and saying, if you knew who I used to be, I feel like you wouldn't even let me in the doors. But you smile and you greet people. The people in the room today that are willing to do anything when it comes to the kingdom of God. You say, I don't care if it's a spill, I don't care if it's a toilet, I don't care if I need to carry a piano, whatever it looks like. If it's gonna, if it's gonna move the kingdom of God into the depths and the pit of hell and transform our world, I'm gonna put my hand to it. You're my heroes. You are. And so I relate with David when I see the godly people in the land of Newbreak Church. You're my heroes. He goes on. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. Uh, as I said before, um, when it comes to your past, if you've chased after other gods, you know you got in trouble. 
I got in a lot of trouble because I kept chasing after other gods. And he says this, I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of their gods. He said, God, I'm going to speak to you in the three names that I'm going to call you right now. But for them, I'm not even going to mention them. They're not even worth being on my lips. How much time have we wasted speaking of the other gods that don't even deserve to be on our lips? How much time have we spent talking about another God rather than speaking of the God of Scripture, Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai, who can change everyone's life? Verse 5 goes on, Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land, a wonderful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety. Do you remember how verse 1 started? Keep me safe, O God, in you I take refuge. He says, no wonder I rejoice. I'm resting in the hands of God. For you will not leave my soul among the dead. That's the word sheol. We talked about that last week. That's the realm of the dead. Or allow your holy one... This is what Peter mentions. Your holy one to rot in the grave. David says, we're just going to prophesy in the middle of my prayer. We're going to speak of the things to come. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. How do we experience the joy of God today? Well, it starts by just getting into his presence. A real joy is only found in the presence of God. One theologian said, said the, the joy that you experience is the infallible sign of the presence of God. When you're in God's presence, there should just be a joy that bubbles up inside of you that you can't even help. I heard you singing at the end, uh, Pastor Nate and the worship team led us through, uh, there's joy in the house of the Lord. We were going for it because it just didn't matter. You're right, there's joy in the house of the Lord. Now, we can't deny this. There's joy in the house. I walk in. There have been days when I have walked in and before I cross the threshold, I'm saying, Lord, I do not have joy today. And I walk in and he says, welcome to my presence. Maybe you haven't been with me today. There's joy in my presence. That's what God does. This is why we start with the end in mind. Uh, go to verse 11, Psalm 16. It says this, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. You see, for David, his contentment, his joy, was in his connection with God. He said, I have this unfathomable joy when I'm with you. I have cheerfulness even when life doesn't seem cheerful. I have joy even when life isn't enjoyable. For many of us, we have attached joy simply to an emotion and a feeling that can be changed by the circumstances. David is saying, it doesn't matter what's going on in my life. If I'm with you... I got joy. I got joy. And there's a reason because if I'm with God, he's not only giving me joy, he's also providing for me. Because in his, in his presence is provision. All throughout scripture, we see God providing for people. The Israelites, they go into the wilderness, rebel against God. They're in the wilderness for 40 years. God gives them manna from heaven. That word manna is, is awesome. Uh, that word literally means what is it? Manna falls from heaven. It's like this bread, this like gooey bread stuff. It comes from heaven and they're like, what is it? And the, the Bible writers are like, yeah, we'll just call it manna. You're right, what is it? 
A manna falls from heaven. They are fed. They're led by uh, fire, or cloud by day, fire by night. God gives water out or water in the midst of a desert. God speaks to people on mountains. God gives them everything they need. They have provision. Why would we think he would not provide for us today? God wants to sustain you. Now, I want you to do something for me because this transformed the way I think about God's provision this week. When it comes to the word sustain, the word sustain has two meanings. He, he provides what is needed. He sustains us. And he upholds all that we are and all that he is. Because, you know, I need that foundation to be able to sustain all of the weight. So I'll sustain you and I'll sustain you. So, so just for practice, if you just put both of your hands out. And I was doing this this morning. And I just want you to, to pray this. God, sustain me with your presence. Just say that out loud. One more time. God, sustain me with your presence. And just, and just be thinking that he, he wants to provide everything that you need. And he wants to hold you up when you're weak. That's the God that I want to serve. If that doesn't bring you joy, I, I don't know what will. You're in the hands of God. God is protecting you. God is molding you. God's, God's work, you, living God's way, following after him, never lacks God's supply. Ever. Ever. And, and I can't tell you how real this is uh, in, in my life. I've seen it time and time again. When I thought there was no way that God can come through, and he's like, I'm going to be late according to you, but I'm right on time. I'm going to be there. And you're oh, like, I like financially? No, I, I mean when I didn't have anything left in me emotionally. God says, I'm going to provide, I'm going to sustain you. When, when I felt like giving up, he says, no, I'm, I'm sustaining you, not you, Marcus. And for so many of us, men in the room, we've worked so hard at providing, which is a good thing. But what if, what if we focused more on presence than solely provision? We say, God, I want to be with you. And you provide for your family. You provide for your kids. So if that's the case, Lord, I'm, I'm going to dive into all that you are. You are my focus. And watch what he begins to do. I, I'm learning that if I trust God's hands, I'm telling you, the, the work of my hands seems even lighter because he's got all control. Reminds me of the story of a, of a shop owner. He had this jar of lollipops that he would give to all the kids that came in with their family. And this father and son walk into the store, and they've been there before, and they know the whole, you know, routine. And so they get what they need. They go to the counter. They pay. And the shop owner says, all right, Billy, put your hand in. Grab as many lollipops as you want. Billy's done it before, but today was different. He goes, no. Puts his hand behind his back. Mm -mm. The shop owner's like, are, are you sure? Grab as many as you want. He goes, no. And so the dad looks at the shop owner, and the shop owner says, okay, dad, you put your hands in and grab as many lollipops as you can. So he grabbed them all. You walk outside, the dad goes, Billy, why didn't you want any lollipops? He goes, I did, but your hands are bigger than mine. <laughs> what if we viewed that when it comes to God's provision? God, your hands are bigger than mine. 
I'm telling you, this, this past week, my wife and I just even um, navigating uh, just future and um, she has her essentially a residency internship in Washington, D.C., just planning out finances and things. And, and literally, as I was, I was praying through this message, uh, God had me put my hand out, and he said, my hand is bigger than yours. And so maybe for you, as he sustains you, just remember, God's hand is bigger than mine. There, there's nothing that I can hold in comparison to what he has. This is why David can say with confidence. Remember, I said this is a psalm about confidence. Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. Okay, we have to go into history for a second. Uh, First, we have to know that David is from a tribe of Judah. Uh, David would have, from the tribe of Judah, would have exceeded, experienced this land, this portion of land that God kind of set up for everyone going into Canaan. And so he would have said, here's the land for the tribe of Judah. Then there were the Levites, another tribe, one of the 12 tribes. The Levites, their inheritance, says in Deuteronomy 28, says, you do not receive a plot of land for I am your inheritance. The Lord is your inheritance forever. David said, I don't need what is given to me, because I have you. And you think about David. David is the youngest of eight sons. Uh, back then, there'd be an inheritance left. Uh, maybe, maybe you have an inheritance for your kids. You're ready. Mom, are you paying attention? Uh, you have a, you know, you have like an inheritance left for your kids. And, and after the father passes, it would go to the first son, and then the second son, you know, and so on. But if you're the last of eight, I mean, come on. You're not going to get much. David says, it doesn't matter what happens from my father Jesse because I'm looking at my heavenly father. He's going to provide everything that I need. You are my inheritance, God. What a wonderful inheritance. You fill my cup. You're my cup of blessing. It runs over. God, I have everything I need if I have you. What if that's the place we could get in our hearts? God, I have everything I need if I have you. That's all I need. If I'm a child of God, my potential is unlimited and my inheritance is sacred. So God, you give me what belongs to you because I am your inheritance and you are my inheritance. You're the inheritance of God, scripture says. Head of everything God could get. He's like, ah, you know what I want? You. You. You are God's inheritance. He is our inheritance. He says, I give you what you need. I'm going to provide. I'm going to sustain. Remember, sustain, I will provide, and I also will uphold. I'll sustain you. And the best part is, I'm going to guard you. Because in my presence, this is why we get more joy, in his presence is security. And I'm so thankful that we serve a God who is safe. We live in a world that, that is consistently talking about find a safe place and safe people and safe groups and safe rooms and, and we have a whole, we have businesses that are all about making a safe room and escape rooms and, and just find this safe place. I can't tell you the safest place you could ever be is in the presence of God. Every time. And think about some of the safe people in your life. That God's safety is even greater. Last week, um, yeah, well, we'll step back. About 15 years ago, I had a head injury. Um, I hit my head and I uh, had fluid on the brain, a subdural hematoma, and it affected me in uh, a lot of areas of my life. I still deal with memory loss, short and long-term memory loss, word finding. Um, one of the other issues that I deal with is some equilibrium issues um, and vertigo. Last Sunday, I woke up, I went on my run, and about halfway through the run, 
something happened and the vertigo just hit me. And it felt like everything was spinning. And so I make it back to the house, I sit down, and I literally say this out loud to God, I don't know if I can do this. But, but God, I, I know this message of mercy is a powerful message. See, and, and this is the best thing. I thought about our team, and we have an amazing pastoral team here. Not for one moment did I think that God was not going to bring a message. I mean, I mean, any of our team could walk up onto the platform and give a powerful message. It may have not been on God's mercy because they didn't study it that week, but you would have gotten a powerful message last week. That was not my concern. My concern was, God, I know that there is a word for our church about mercy, and I've been in it all week, but, but God, I cannot do this with the room spinning like this and the sickness in my stomach. So I got ready, came to the church, sat in the sound booth, Bob, who's married to my mom, my bonus dad, he looks at me, and he goes, how you doing? I said, I got bad vertigo today, dad. And at that moment, I wasn't pastor, Marcus, I was son. He wrapped his arms around me, he said, I love you, son. Prayed quickly, and I was so safe, because I didn't need to be anyone else other than me. Talked with Brooks. Same thing, just prayed. During worship, our worship team continued leading in songs. The room is spinning. I'm like, Lord, I just need you. I text the team, hey, God is doing something this morning. I believe God is doing something uh, in the life of his church right now. I really do. And, and if, you, if you're not sensing it, I encourage you to, to dive in. God is doing something and transforming every single one of us in this moment and in this season. And it's a beautiful moment. And I, I texted the team that. Bumper goes on, I get up onto the platform. Room is still spinning. Uh, I can't read any of the slides that are going in the background. I said, Lord, I need you. But we're talking about mercy. And God spoke to me, he said, you know what mercy is because you get it every day. He said, you get it from me. And I started to think, if I have him, I have everything I need. But it started with finding safety in the people God placed around me. After service, I was still spinning. I got home to my wife. I said, babe, I've got vertigo today. She said, what do you need? And she just held me. As much security and safety as we have in the people around us, you get even more when it comes to the presence of God. That's what he wants to give you. That's why David can confidently say, keep me safe Oh God, for I have come to you for refuge. I don't go anywhere else. I just come to you for refuge. If you're taking notes, where do I go for refuge? Uh, you have to think this is like wartime. This is a place where they would go. It's, it's a shelter. It's a bomb shelter. It's, it's everything that they need so, so that they would not be able to experience the attacks from anyone else. Where do you go for refuge? It's like our entire lives where the Peanuts comic strip where Linus is holding the security blanket and it seems like every episode Pe uh, uh, Snoopy comes up and steals a blanket. What is your security blanket? What is that thing you're still walking around with that you go to for refuge? For me? It's work and tasks. So I think if I stay busy, busyness is attached to a place of security for me. Because if I stay busy in this, I don't have to focus on anything else. Maybe it's, maybe it's finding uh, this idea of just, if I get more things, I'll be more secure and I'll have more joy. Maybe yours is not busyness. Maybe yours is add to cart. Add to cart. Add to cart. 
add to cart, add to cart. And you're like, rent's coming up, mortgage is coming up. You're like, oh, return, return, right? <laughs> Where do you go to find refuge? My prayer is it would just be in the presence of God. If I can just get close to him, that's all I need. For David, he said, I go to you and I find refuge in you. It's, I, I go to you because the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad. No wonder I rejoice. My body rests in safety. When I'm in the presence of God, there's deliverance. There's guidance in his presence. There's provision in his presence. There's security in his presence. I don't need anything else from anything or anyone when I'm in the presence of God. If we can get to that place, your joy will be full. Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, you can begin to ask anything and, and I'm going to give it to you and your joy will be complete. What can we ask God for in this season right now? And my, my prayer is, which is, God, I just want you to do what only you can do to transform my life so I look more and more like you. And you may be walked in in an extremely difficult season right now and you just don't know what's coming around the corner. You, just, you don't know what Monday or Tuesday will bring. You have meetings coming up. You're, you're not sure what things will look like. There's certain dates in your mind that are coming up that you're like, I just don't know how we're going to make it. I don't know how we're going to do it. You're extremely unsure. Whatever it may be, uh, the apostle Paul uh, wrote the book of Romans in this letter to the Roman church, and he would begin to talk about all these difficulties we experience in Romans chapter 8. And then he gets to this really familiar verse for many of us, but notice this verse comes after all of the difficulties that you and I face every single day, and he says, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. He said, he's going to work it out, all for good. You, you may have, you may have a, a few ingredients of just some difficult things in your life. We're having cookies today, so we're going to have a cookie illustration. Uh, you may have some flour. You may have some butter. Uh, you may have a little salt. You've got to have a little salt in there, right? And some chocolate chips, whatever it may be. And, and just separately, it's not looking too good. Maybe you like eating a stick of butter. That's not for me. Right? But separately, everything. but you let that stuff cook. In the words of today, you let God cook, let him cook. And watch what happens when everything comes together for good and you get this beautiful cookie and ice cream in the middle and, oh, praise the Lord. It's going to be so good. Let God do what only he can do and work everything together. He goes on later, Paul says, and guess what? Even when life still gets difficult and there's nothing that you can offer and you're feeling like, God, where are you? There is nothing that will ever separate you from him. You get into his presence, nothing will separate you from his love. That's where the joy comes from for David. And that's the same joy that God desires for you and your family. This is why today our middle schooler is going to camp where they're going to experience God in a place without all of the distractions that they experience every single day. The stories that our, our team comes back with after they talk about what the, what the students are experiencing and what they're sharing, some of the deepest conversations, uh, stuff that, that really brings our leaders to tears, however, transforms the lives of our students. That's what they're going to experience. God desires this joy so much that, that at one of our local public schools, they asked Pastor Karen if she would come and pray for the outgoing eighth graders as they go into ninth grade. I'll say that again. A public school asked Newbreak Church if we would pray for eighth graders. I, okay, let's go. That's powerful. That's powerful. God desires that joy for you. And next week, our high schoolers are going to be going to camp in the same thing. 
So you get to model it. You get to experience it. In fact, uh, John, as he's, as he's nearing um, the end of his life, he would say this, it's, it brings joy, no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. And I feel like that's for all of us. There's no greater joy than to hear our kids are walking in the truth. But we get to model it first. And however you model it, through prayer, through your life, through your joy, through your amazing dad jokes, through being present. Yes, the kids need a roof over their head. Yes, the kids need food on the table. Yes, they need gear for sports that cost too much money. But more than anything, they need your presence. Be there. And when you're there, model who God is. Uh, I found this really great resource. It's called Indescribable. It's 100 Devotions About God and Science by Louis Giglio. Um, I have one of these that I want to give to uh, a man who says, you know, I, I really want to model this for my kids when it comes to joy, when it comes to all that God is. Uh, meet me at the blue tent. I want to give that to you. Uh, maybe it's getting flash theology. Uh, maybe it's joining us for VBS coming up this summer and just being there for the next generation. If you don't like the world, the way the world looks today, get involved and point everyone toward Jesus and watch what happens and watch their faith be revived and their joy restored. That's what God wants to do in all of our lives. So today, my prayer is we'd experience that joy. I want to close with this amazing quote by this um, Irish monk that I learned about in my, in my undergrad. And he said this, joy is the echo of God's life within us. Let joy be the echo of God's life within you today. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are holy, that you are good, that you are love, that you are a protector, that you are wise. And as we close out this series, that you are joyful. Help me find joy in you. If you would just repeat after me, Lord, help me find joy in you and share joy with others. Amen. Thank you, church.